Hello again, everybody. We're back. I got to think of something else to say other than we're back. Uh, for another episode, this one called Peddling Prosperity. Alliteration strikes again. Prosperity is the focus and the teaching that we're going to talk about from the church. All right. So, first of all, Dave, little LES Church in the news. So, this one from kjazz.com, which I didn't even know. I was going to say I didn't know it existed. I guess it would exist. This would be the website version of the radio. All right. The title, National Divorce Rates Drop Over Last Decade, Except for Utah and New York. Hmm. (laughs) (laughs) And that's it. What else can I say? That's the title of the thing. So... Little uh, a few numbers here for people who like numbers. Uh, according to their report, Utah saw an increase in divorce rates at just under three percent over the last decade. Comparatively, the national average is on the decline by over nineteen percent. Nineteen. Yes. Holy crap. Yeah. yeah. Now a, a comparable. Uh, uh, number there, something that should be put into the equation is what I'm trying to say, is has marriage itself that's, decreased? Yeah, that's exactly what I was thinking about. Uh, yeah. and, and that could com- that could explain some of it, right? If you have the act of marriage not decreasing in Utah, but if you have that actually decreasing across the states in general, mm-hmm. people just cohabitating yes. and stuff like that, then that would probably lend itself to some of those numbers. Yes, um, and that yeah. we know that has been increasing for some some time. Of course, yeah. Years. I mean, you yeah. could imagine a world where marriage was was no longer a thing, and so your divorce rate drop would be a hundred percent, right? Because there would be <laughs> no divorces. So, yeah. But that's interesting that Utah and New York crept up while the rest of the United States, anyway, went down. So that's the news. Uh, what about this uh, peddling prosperity? topic for our episode today. So we can start out by kind of defining what this word prosperity means, so to speak. Um, So the source I have here says the word prosperity itself comes from the Latin pro plus spes, which means hope. So that's interesting, but then obviously the word soon came to mean succeed, which is more along the definition of what you and I would be familiar with. So it means to succeed. It's often used in the sense of material success. Um, so that that's kind of the background of what it means. And Again, yeah. excess success, yes. And, mm-hmm. and uh, as we were talking yesterday, you put forth a certain amount of energy effort mm-hmm. into something, and you extract back an equivalent plus a little more excess which is termed a success yes uh anything like that yeah yeah i think that's that's a good way of thinking about it uh and so um there there are concepts that you could throw into that and we'll get into some of these a little later the idea of happiness for example versus prosperity versus the concept of having material possessions 
Uh, there's also a concept of appearances versus reality that we'll, we'll talk about a little bit, but that's definitely one of these things that could be associated with this topic, right? It may appear that someone is prosperous when in reality, the net reality is no, they're, they're not. So why are we bringing this up? Let's let our buddy, who uh, I just got off the phone with him this morning, uh, some of you will know who this guy is, Joel Austin, multimillionaire preacher. Joel and I go way back. Uh, anyway, you'll know Joel. Why do I bring Joel Austin up? Because he is looked upon by a lot of uh, whatever you term you want to use, fundamentalist or mainstream or whatever evangelical Christianity and and the and the teachers or preachers in those in those groups as a quote unquote prosperity preacher because of the common uh, vein or or thrust of his messages all kind of being about you know being blessed from God etc. He's written a bunch of books. So for those who are less familiar, and even those who are a little familiar, I guess, I had three little snippets to play from Joel, which give you an idea of this prosperity concept that we're going to talk about today, because as luck would have it, it also has to do directly with the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. So here's Joel. Uh, This first little clip is... He says the same thing at the beginning of each of his sermons. So, and, and this is actually what he says ties into the beginning of the concept of prosperity. So let's, let's check out what he says at the beginning of, of each of his things here. This is my Bible. I am what it says I am. I have what it says I have. I can do what it says I can do. Today, I will be taught the Word of God. I boldly confess my mind is alert. My heart is receptive. I will never be the same. In Jesus' name, God bless you. All right. That's the intro every time. So I imagine now if he talks about how the Bible, you know, I am what it says I am, he's not going to be talking about negative shit, right? So uh, Hang on, Mike. I got got to go get a tissue. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, here's Joel intro, Joel's intro. By the way, the title of this sermon is The Power of the Blessing, okay? And that's going to lead us in to what we're talking about with the Mormon Church. So let's hear what he says as he introduces this for just over a minute here. Let's check this out. I want to talk to you today about the power of the blessing. When you honor God with your life, there is a blessing he puts on you that gives you an advantage. It causes you to rise up when circumstances are trying to push you down. You will recover from an illness when the experts said you wouldn't. You will accomplish dreams that looked impossible. It wasn't just your talent, your skill, determination. There is a force behind you fighting your battles opening doors you couldn't open, bringing the right people. Those weren't just good breaks. That's the blessing on your life. The blessing will cause you to prosper when others are struggling. The blessing will bring promotion when you weren't next in line. The blessing will cause people to be good to you that don't even like you. The scripture says in Malachi, when we give our tithes and offerings, God will pour out a blessing that we don't have room to receive. 
It doesn't say blessings, plural. It says blessing, singular. When you have the blessing, then all kinds of blessings will come. You won't have room to receive all the good things God has in store. Hmm. Sounds like a waste of good things. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Where am I going to put these? Oh, my God. My my good things room is full. (laughs) Where the hell are these going to go? Good things room. Yeah. Love that. (laughs) People who've been in the church will recognize that verse from Malachi. Uh, It's the same verse the church uses usually when they're talking about tithing. And if you pay your tithing, you know, God will will bless you. The windows of heaven will be opened, right? And we have some excerpts from a couple other talks later that that we'll play. So this concept of the blessing, and you heard the word prosper in there. So he's talking about prospering, uh, and that's that's one of the main ways God will bless you. Will bless you. I I find myself going into a southern (laughs) uh, accent there. Uh, that's one of the main ways he'll bless you when you lead a God-centered life, whatever. So I'm going to play one last clip from Joel here because a lot of what you'll get, so they'll tell these stories, which illustrate how people, when they trusted in God, they got this prosperity that we're talking about here. And so, uh, again, you'll be very familiar with, with LDS leaders following the same kind of tactic to, to prove their point. So Joel, uh, for about now two minutes or so, he shares a story about when he and his dad, this is when his dad was the preacher of the church, went to India, and this story about a pastor they met there. So let's, let's check out this story that he's going to share that illustrates how God will bless you. Okay. I was in India one time with my father. I met this young pastor that came from a very poor family. They didn't have running water or electricity. They lived out on this open field in a little hut. The man next door was very wealthy. He owned a huge farm, had thousands of cattle and many crops. He sold milk and vegetables to people in the village. But this man was very greedy. His prices were so high that most of the poor people couldn't afford anything. One day, about 10 of his cows got out and came over to the property where the pastor and his family lived. The man heard about it and had his workers come, get the cows, put them back in the fence. The next day, 10 more cows got out, came over to the pastor's property. This happened again and again and again. The owner got so frustrated, he finally told the pastor to just keep the cows. The pastor was so excited, he started selling milk and products to people in the village but he sold them for less than the other man. Before long, people were lined up at his door. He was able to buy more cows. His business got so large that that other man came and said, I can't compete with you. Why don't you take over my business? He purchased it for a fraction of the value. Today, this young pastor has a large business with several hundred employees. It all started when those cows came to his property and wouldn't leave. He couldn't have made that happen. That was the blessing on his life. God controls the universe. He knows how to have the cows find you. The good breaks, the property, the contracts, the businesses, they're going to come looking for you. There you go, Dave. 
Wow. That's so that's the purpose of life. No wonder I missed the boat. <laughs> Jesus. I thanks for straightening me out there, Joel. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. yeah. What do we even say to that? Yeah. He's indirectly damaging people because it, that's faith promoting BS. I, I really wonder if the story's even true. Oh, yeah. It probably which, isn't. Yeah. It probably uh, isn't. But it doesn't matter. What it, what did he teach those people? A blessed life is your rich. Yes. That's exactly period. right. Yep. And what did the man, what did the uh, poor farmer do to uh, earn that? Uh, it's the blessing on his life. Yeah, he's just a man of God. He's just a man of God. He's just trying to be a good man. And uh, boom, here come the cows, right? So that's, (laughs) you know, that's, uh, there you go. So let's, let's jump over to the Mormon church for a minute. Does the Mormon church teach this same kind of thing? And so one of the things you could do, if you want to know what a religion teaches, I guess, at a basic level, you could look at that religion's scriptures, right? Like, what do you guys, what's your scriptures? What does it say in there about how God blesses you, for example? Is this kind of thing that Joel just talked about? I don't know that that's really in the Bible, actually. But no. the ironic thing is, if you compared scriptures, if you compare the Book of Mormon to the Bible as far as a teaching of prosperity, a teaching of the Lord literally, like, tangibly, physically prospering you by being, uh, you know, trying to follow him, you will actually see entry after entry in the Book of Mormon that literally says that. And so that's interesting and, and kind of ironic because of any church, uh, the, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints should be teaching that, right? Because their scripture says it. So let me give you guys an idea. If you look at the index, uh, remember the triple combination, <laughs> as we called it, a little slang? So Book of Mormon, Doctrine, Covenants, Pearl of Great Price, right? That's the triple. And so if you look in the index under the, t- under the entry Prosper or Prosperity, this is what you see, and this, this is not really long. I'll just run through with you guys the verses here where this concept is taught. Is taught. So, and, and if you recall how the index works, it will give you like a piece of the sentence that the word is in. It doesn't give you the whole verse, right? And then you can go look at the verse. So, if you keep commandments, you shall prosper. So, there's the word. Uh, and that's in 1 Nephi, 2 Nephi, Jerem, Mosiah, Alma, Okay, all over the place. It gives you a bunch of different verses to find it. Nephites prosper exceedingly. That's in 2 Nephi. So great is the prosperity of the church that the high priests are astonished. That's in Helaman. The Lord prospers those who trust in him. Helaman. Uh, let's see. When the Lord prospers his people, they harden their hearts and forget him. Helaman again. And this that goes to the cycle of prosperity, as it's called in the church, as presented in the Book of Mormon. And Dave can summarize that for us in a second here really fast. Nephites become rich because of prosperity in Christ. Fourth Nephi, uh, do what the Lord commands and you shall prosper. Doctrine and Covenants, um, if Zion does these things, she shall prosper. Doctrine and Covenants. So those are some entries there. Dave, about how the church teaches this to its members, 
Can you remind us of this concept they call the the cycle of prosperity in the Book of Mormon? You know, I was just thinking it's actually taught as a warning. If you think about it. So, yeah, there if you here's what happens. The people are given the commandments of God through their prophets and they become prosperous. They're blessed. And of course, it's God who is blessing them. How are they blessed? Well, their flocks and herds and their crops and everything's going their way. And even as Michael mentioned, they have success over their enemies. Mm -hmm. which is what God wants, I guess. And as they become rich, they become prideful. Basically, they forget the so-called source of those riches, and they think of it as they had produced them themselves. Mm -hmm. They become prideful. They begin to look down on those who have less. Puffed up is a a term in the Book of Mormon. They become puffed up in their hearts, Uh and subsequently they fall again, into a state where they lose everything Hmm. and become very humble again. And in their humility, they repent and Hmm. begin to obey the commandments again, which brings more prosperity. And then it repeats, right? Uh, Yeah, over and and over. So uh, an aspect of it is, Yes, if you're if you're righteous, you will prosper. Well, who doesn't want to prosper? But but be careful. Mm. Be careful. Don't so forget. I, yeah. That part about being careful in the modern Mormon church, I don't see that preached as much as you know the prosperity gospel. Just yeah. you know, obey and let's see how rich we can get. Yeah, yeah. And it's such such an important cycle, this prosperity cycle in the Book of Mormon. It's such an important theme that it, it is literally shown throughout the book with, is it two or three major societies, Dave? I know at least two, the Jaredites and the Nephites. Right, and it happens within the Nephite-Lamanite society at least three or four times. So this concept is not just a side note in the Book of Mormon. It is one of the main, you could argue it was one of the main teachings of the Book of Mormon. Right. Right, it was. It's a huge yeah. teaching. If you obey God, you will prosper. That includes physically, temporally, material, you know, possessions. You will. Period. End of story. And it's a strong teaching. So that's where the members start to get this concept in the Mormon Church. Much like Joel Austin is teaching his crowd, the Book of Mormon, and the and the the members teach. Is it only in the Book of Mormon? Did the leaders of the church come out and say it? Let's give a couple snippets here. So Spencer W. Kimball, quote, by living the laws of his gospel, talking about God, we gain temporal prosperity and maintain health of body and strength of mind. The gospel blesses us today. Think about that. Not just so temporal prosperity is riches, physical, right? Prosperity body health, and mental health. All three of those, Kimball says, you get. So we're not just mm. talking about riches, right? So so if you've got a lot of health, body health going on, mental health, or you're poor, you're not obeying God enough, basically, is, is the message there. Uh, well, that, yeah. that's an inevitable uh, consequence of a teaching like that for a person that's struggling and not even of what you call medium income, 
and they're very faithful. They attend all their meetings, do all everything, read the scriptures, go to the temple, do everything, and then some, because they're obviously not doing enough, and they're still broke mm-hmm. all the time, and now they're confused. Yep. yep. And what do they do with that confusion? They turn it inward in most cases. What am I doing wrong? Why am I such a piece of shit? Why am I not worthy? Why? Yeah. What? Why does God love others and not love me? Exactly. Exactly. Some real damage is created there. It actually creates judgment, too, in the church. And we'll talk a little bit about that near the end of this episode. Like, what is all this teaching cause, right? And you just hit on a bunch of killer ones, Dave, as far as the the impacts of this. Uh, Here's another guy, Cole Moore, who was assistant to the Twelve back in 1974. Our hope for peace for temporal and spiritual prosperity and for an eventual inheritance in the kingdom of God is found only in and through the restored gospel. So again, he's added some other benefits. We're going to have peace. Peace is awesome. We're going to have, again, temporal blessings and spiritual blessings. And then, of course, he adds, so that's right now. And then he says, and then after this earth life, eventually, right, we'll inherit the kingdom of God. So this concept of inheriting, uh, you know, a kingdom, inheriting riches. Let's give you another one here. There's only a couple more of these that I wanted to share. Russell and Ballard in 2012. So this is a little, little more recent. He's talking to, to the young adults of the church. Okay, so he says, Face the future with optimism. I believe we are standing on the threshold of a new era of growth, prosperity, abundance that they will have opportunities for employment and prosperity for those who strive to keep the commandments of God. As we do our part, the Lord will bless us with prosperity and with wisdom to keep our mind focused on what matters most. With prosperity will come a unique challenge. So here he is back to the Book of Mormon warning, a test that will try many to their spiritual core. So as you step into this new world of prosperity, we should seek it only after we find and serve him. So he talks about a bunch of different aspects that I remember hearing growing up. Yeah, yeah. a certain quote is coming to mind. It might be from Jacob, and he's talking about seeking wealth. Mm-hmm. And he says something like, and if you seek it to, be, to build up the kingdom of God... Then you'll get it, yeah. Then you'll get it, yeah, mm-hmm. I... I it, just yeah, popped into my head from that reading. But there. if you seek it just for selfishness, just to have things, then that's sin, right? And yeah, there was okay. that teaching there. Yeah, here's uh, here's Joseph F. Smith. This is particularly about tithing, and again, tithing is a teaching in the church that is very closely tied to prosperity, as in cause and effect, literally, right? You pay your tithing you will prosper. End of story. That's one of the blessings. In fact, that's the Malachi verse. It's all about tithing. So here's, here's Joseph Smith. Um, he's talking about the blessings of paying tithing. He's reading some stuff, I think. Yeah, Malachi. He will increase his kine, so his sheep, or, or I mean his pigs, which was like, hey, if I got a bunch of pigs, I'm rich. He'll prosper him on the right hand and the left. He's talking about that promise. Anyway, right, he uses that story, like Joel Austin did, to talk about how this man was prospered. Why? Because he paid his tithing. 
That's basically the whole talk. Let's actually give an audio snippet here. And this is another story by Carl B. Pratt, which is he one of the 12 now? So here's a story about the 100 pesos. It's about four minutes long, but it's worth it. David can attest, I'm sure after you hear this, this is exactly the type of story that we were told in the church about the, the blessings of tithing. Ready for this? Early 1920s in Mexico were hard times. The violent revolution had just ended and there was little cash circulating and most of it was in silver coins. People often conducted their business through barter or exchange of goods and services. One day, Grandpa John came home having completed a trade and had received 100 pesos in silver coins as part of the deal. He gave the money to Ida with instructions that was to be used to cover the upcoming school expenses of the children. Ida was grateful for the money, but reminded John that they had not paid any tithing all summer long. They had had no cash income, but Ida reminded him that the animals had provided meat, eggs, and milk. Their garden had provided an abundance of fruits and vegetables, and they had made other trades for goods not involving cash. Ida suggested they should give the money to the bishop to cover their tithing. John was a little disappointed as the cash surely would have helped a great deal towards the children's schooling. I'm going to pause right there for a moment. Does anybody sense a problem with that already? (laughs) So David and I mentioned a few episodes ago about the Latino authority who was giving his talk and talked about how his dad had to choose literally between buying food for the family or paying his tithing, right? Now we're talking about John, the grandpa, wanting that money to help the kids with their education or pay tithing. So how fucked up is that? (laughs) So here we go. Let's listen to the rest of this here. But he readily agreed they needed to pay their tithing. He carried the heavy bag to the tithing office and settled with the bishop. Shortly afterwards, he received word that a wealthy businessman was coming from the United States, a Mr. Horde. He would arrive next week with several men to to spend a few days in the mountains hunting and fishing. Grandpa John met the party of men at the railroad station not far from Colonia Juarez. He had the string of saddle horses and the necessary pack animals ready to transport the baggage and the camp equipment into the mountains. And the following week was spent guiding the men and caring for the camp and the animals. At the end of the week, the men returned to the railroad station to take the train back to the U.S. John was paid for his work and was given a bag of silver peso coins to cover the other expenses. Once the men had been paid, John returned the balance of the money to Mr. Horde, who was surprised as he had not expected any money to be left over. He quizzed John to make sure all the costs had been covered, and John answered that all the expenses for the trip had been met, and this was the balance of the funds. The train whistled, and Mr. Horde turned to go, then turned back 
and tossed the heavy bag of coins to John. Here, take this home for your boys, he said. John caught the bag and headed back to Colonia Juarez. That evening, as the family was gathered around after supper to hear the stories of the trip, John remembered the bag and brought it in and set it on the table. John said he didn't know how much was in the bag, so for fun, the bag was emptied onto the table. Do you have a guess as to how many pesos were in the bag? Was, was it 100 pesos? Let's find out. Is that your bet? Mm-hmm. Okay, here we go. It was quite a pile. And when it was counted, it came to exactly 100 pesos in silver. <laughs> of course, it was deemed a great blessing that Mr. Horde had decided to make that trip. And John and his boys had earned good wages, but the 100 pesos left over was a reminder of the exact same amount paid in tithing the week before. How many times did you hear stories like that growing up, Dave? Over and over. And what's going on here is that the faith to pay tithing or obey some other commandment mm -hmm. requires you to relinquish logical thinking. Yes. You must suspend critical and logical thinking and act in faith. Mm-hmm. So faith is <laughs> diametrically opposed to common sense, apparently. Yeah. Something like uh, that. Evidently. Yeah, evidently. And not only to common yeah. sense, but necessities right of life yeah. like in the one and case I, I, I keep referencing I, you know is the family going to eat in this case are the kids going to have money for school supplies and and to get to school you know i mean these are critical critical things and you're living in a religion that tells you even give those up for this hope that god's going to prosper you even if these stories are real which I highly doubt, actually. I really am a yeah. suspect. But, but yeah. let's say, just for the hell of it, that these stories are real. How many other stories are not being told about the family down the street who was just as dedicated to the church, trying to be just as good, and didn't get the blessing after they paid tithing, right? And those, of course, are never told. And I would imagine, especially in that period in Mexico, that was the prevalent story, right? That was happening outside of John's family. <laughs> so here's the next topic. And Dave, you're going to share something from our uh, D. Michael Quinn again here, substituting for your information. So what you have then, and Dave, you touched on this already, you have this situation in the church where uh, if you are not being blessed, there's this, again, cognitive dissonance. There's, it rears its head again, right? What you believe and the reality you're experiencing don't match. And so you have to create a dissonance between the two if you're going to keep believing. You have to separate your belief from reality, right? Otherwise, your belief doesn't make sense. And so you see all these impacts in the church. You had some things to share, Dave, that I think are relevant here because the leaders tend to be kind of like kind of like 17th or 18th century European leaders where the people may have been heavily taxed, but the leaders were fine. 
And so you've got this conundrum in the church where the leaders are like the royalty, and uh, they're doing okay with regard to prosperity. You've got some examples there that Quinn gave, gives us, Dave. Okay, he's got a section here where he explains that in 1975, President Kimball withdrew as LDS president from being an officer or director of corporations uh, because they always had been for a long time. The first presidency explained membership on boards has required some time and the presidency has felt its time could be better utilized in building the kingdom. A profile of the corporate responsibility of general authorities as of June 84 helps to assess its impact on their time and attention in June uh, in building the kingdom. Okay, in 84. So, so yeah, they're, they're, they're doing two things. Exactly nine years after Kimball's business withdrawal, this was about midway toward the decision of the entire hierarchy to accept the same inevitability. Listen to this, though. It was also seven months after the Wall Street Journal's front page headline, quote, leaders of Mormonism double as overseers of a financial empire. Oh, yeah, of course. Yep. There it is. And so... In the first presidency in 1984, President Kimball, who had been physically incapacitated, incapacitated since 82, remained the director of Bonneville International Corp. His first counselor, Mary G. Romney, also still chairman of Beneficial Development Company, of Beneficial Life Insurance, of LDS Social Services, and director of Bonneville International Corporation, and of Deseret Management. Oh. They're businessmen. Yeah. yeah. The only functioning member of the first presidency in 84, second counselor Gordon B. Hinckley, was chairman of the board of Deseret Management Corporation, director of Bonneville International, mm. uh, K-R, K-I-R-O, Utah Power and Light, and Zion's First National Bank. Oh. Well, that's just the first presidency. The quorum of the 12th president. Ezra Tapp Benson was a director of Beneficial Life Company. Howard W. Hunter was president of the Polynesian Cultural Center and director of Beneficial Life Insurance mm. Company of Continental and Western Life Insurance Company of Deseret Federal Savings and Loan, oh First Security God. Bank of Utah, wow. First Security Corporation, Heber J. Grant and Company, PHA Life Insurance Company <laughs> of Watson Land Company, Western American Life Insurance Company. That's all. <laughs> Thomas S. Monson, president, yeah, yeah. chairman of the board of Deseret News Publishing. Uh, he was there for years. Yeah, years. Desert News. Vice, yep. yep. Vice president of LDS Social Services, newspaper agency, corporation, director of Beneficial Life Company, of Commercial Security Bank. Commercial, I can't even read fast enough. Bank Corporation, Continental Western Life, Deseret Management, IHC Hospitals. Oh, my God. Mountain oh. States Telephone and Telegraph, Murdoch Travel. Wow. And a PHA life insurance. And so the list goes on through the rest of the 12. Uh-huh. And then some of the leading members of the 70. Uh, right. It's just extensive. So these men, I, I don't think there's a, an exception. It, I don't, I haven't found an exception where they're not only successful businessmen when they're chosen for a position in the church, they retain those positions of power. Mm -hmm. 
and separation in, of church and state, right? And and income state matter. Yeah, and income and income. So yep. what that does as a member, I'm looking to the leaders, both local and the you know the headquarters. Mm -hmm. I see these men and what they do. I want to emulate that. So for me to be called or looked upon as a prosperous member, I too am going to be parts of these big corporations and make a lot of money. And the emphasis mm. is on that instead of maybe my spiritual state. Yeah, right. Yeah, very interesting. And that's a great segue into the last two pieces that we want to go over with you guys in this episode. So the first piece of the end here is we've talked about the expectations. We've talked now, as Dave just went over, examples of the leaders. Like, well, if this is true, how are the leaders prospering? And you check it out as a, as a member and you're like, wow, they are prospering. So that proves, right, that this must be part of God's plan, right, or his process, if you obey, and nobody's better at obeying than the leaders, right? They're like perfectly obedient. Then this is what's going to happen to you in your life. Okay, so now you have this paradigm that you've been given. This must be how it is when I'm, when I'm righteous. Then you have the reality, and, and we touched on this a little bit earlier. We're going to go into a little more now. What's the reality? Here's the reality, guys. There's many poor, especially outside of the U.S., there's bankruptcies uh, in the church. Uh, there's in the struggle to make ends meet and or appear like you're prosperous, a huge trend started 15, 20 years ago and has become more and more uh, popular today. And this isn't just in the church, but the dual income trend, right? So both husband and wife work to support the family together. I think it's a great idea. It's, you know, if, if you can do it, if you can manage it, especially if you have kids and you can manage that, fantastic, good for you. The The irony is, if you recall, uh, and this goes back to silencing sister suffrage, right? <laughs> the, woman is, the woman's place is in the home, according to the teachings of, of the church, right? So what do you do with that? If you want a dual income to survive, especially to be prosperous like God wants you to be, but the woman isn't supposed to not be the homemaker. How do you deal with that? Well, then you go into these other paradigms that are unique. Actually, some of them super unique to like Utah. For example, the multi-level marketing craze, right? That's That started decades ago and, and has just done nothing but grow. Uh, so you have this, and I'm generalizing, right? Of course, but there's a huge percentage of the MLM salespeople, ambassadors, whatever fancy term you want to use, the people out doing the real work, there's a huge percentage of those who are stay-at-home moms. And so this is like, hey, I can be at home like God wants me to be, and the members or the leaders told me I should be a stay-at-home mom, and I can also work at the same time. And so this MLM craze is a huge thing, especially with women in Utah, in the church, and that's a whole nother conversation that <laughs> we'll get into maybe, I don't know, in another episode or something. The MLM phenomenon. Oh my God. Yeah, that's a whole, it's a whole conversation. But even with that, folks, it doesn't always lead to prosperity. In many cases, it doesn't. 
And back to what you were saying earlier, David, what is that causing you? If you can't, if the cognitive dissonance isn't strong enough, I'm obeying, I'm doing what I should be doing, I'm paying my tithing, I'm still scraping from paycheck to paycheck, that's going to cause any number of issues. I'm going to be confused, depressed, anxiety, you know, self-esteem, because I'm not reaching the prosperity that evidently I'm supposed to be reaching. Right? I mean, what's your thoughts on that? Well, I'm I'm thinking about the aspect where you're looking sideways at your neighbors, and and this is a, a national thing. It doesn't just happen in the church, but sure. Back even thirty, forty years ago, there was a phrase called phrase called "keeping up with the Joneses," mm-hmm. and that was it started with the uh, the dual income actually is when that started to happen and now you know the joneses have got two cars all of a sudden well what is it about human nature where our self-esteem is tied to materials Mm. that we surround ourselves with materialism is what we're talking about we're born with an innate emptiness that we can't explain the church tries to fill it material items try to fill it so all your advertising agencies there's this hole something's missing something's not right i need to fill it a lot of people fill it with drugs yeah sex and money and it it doesn't work nope so i i know a lot of stories of uh people that have become very wealthy and just crashed and burned but i'm thinking now about what you were saying with those who are what they feel very obedient to the church, cross all the T's, dot all the I's, and they're still struggling. Well, fuck it. We'll just go into debt because mm-hmm. it's more important to look a certain way than it is to be a certain way. Mm. So what's the debt level that we're talking about? It's enormous. Enormous. Es- especially yep. in Utah. All, and, yeah. all because we want to look a certain way. Yeah, and and look, I think I mentioned this in an episode when we were talking more about tithing by itself, and the fact that I had that that episode in in Elders Quorum where somebody, you know, the teacher dropped that stupid phrase that the church uses all the time. Well, tithing is fire insurance, like you won't burn at the last day, right? And that dumb shit rose his hand and said, it's also fired insurance. Like you won't be laid off if you pay your tithing. (laughs) And I freaked out because I had been laid off. Right. And this was, look, we spiraled and burned in 01 and 08, the last two big, you know, downturns in U.S. economy, uh, 01 after 9-11. Right. And then 08, the big housing crisis. And my family and I spiraled hardcore in both of those periods and we happen to be the most loyal, obedient, tithing, paying people that you would meet in both of those periods. So this whole concept that a guy would even raise his hand and believe some bullshit like that. You won't lose your job either if you pay your tithing. <laughs> yeah, sure, dude. I'm probably the most tithing paying guy in this fucking room. And I lost they- my job. You Think idiot. of the insensitivity. Yeah. What what the, an asshole thing to say. Yeah. How does he know anything about the circumstances of the people in that room and 
if or if not, they pay their tithing. Well, and here's the thing, right? Like this guy, I wouldn't have described as your typical asshole even. He was like a nice guy, right? Like socially. He okay. Was, okay. But, but his dilemma, as a lot of people have, is he was out of touch because he happened to have not lost his job yet, right? So he was out of touch. He was that brainwashed about the exact prosperity preaching that we're teaching, you know, or that wow. we're talking about. And so that brainwashing level exists in the church. It really does. There are people who really believe what he said, that if you do it, you're not, you know, you're going to have the financial blessings. So let, let's talk about that. The last piece I wanted to cover is, so what does the church say about this? So the church, you know, we've talked before, especially the old, old guys at the top who are out of touch, right, with what's happening even with their own members, right? A lot of times these guys just don't get it. Some of them get it a little more. You know, some of this news rolls uphill, right? Uh, you definitely see on, on the budget, you know, sheet how much welfare money is going out to your members because they've lost jobs or, you know, really another footnote there is, you know, asterisk, they're paying their tithing and they're still not getting prosperous, right? <laughs> so what's the excuse from the church? How does the church console you if you're doing exactly what you're supposed to do and you're still not getting blessed? with material, you know, possessions that even ones, in some cases, even what you need, not surplus, just even your needs, right? What am I going to tell you as a leader in the church to make an excuse about that? Here's a little audio snippet, and I have a little short thing to read to you guys as well. And obviously, Dave, I want your thoughts, if you, if you can recall anything. Here's one of our favorites, Lizard Man. <laughs> otherwise known as Bednar, the windows of heaven, how unique, right? The Malachi verse. So here's one of the things that Bednar tells you. You can't just, you know, pay your tithing and look immediately for blessings. You got to be a little, a little more clever than that. Let's see what he says here. Often as we teach and testify about the law of tithing, we emphasize the immediate, dramatic, and readily recognizable temporal blessings that we receive. And surely such blessings do occur. Um, not always, <laughs> but I'll let him continue. Yet some of the diverse blessings we obtain as we are obedient to this commandment are significant but subtle. Such blessings can only be discerned if we are both spiritually attentive and observant. Okay, so there's a mind fuck for you. Yep. So I'm paying my tithing. I'm not getting that physical prosperity that he said should surely come, right? He just verified that. that that's definitely going to come. But if it doesn't come and I don't see any blessings really coming outside of that, again, whose fault is that? It's my fault. I'm You're not, not I'm not being spiritual. I'm not spiritually, spiritually enough, attentive enough. Which, yeah. That word is used as the most nebulous word possibly used in the Mormon religion this spiritual mm. the way that word is thrown around. What the hell does it mean that I am being blessed but I'm just not spiritual enough to see the ways in which I'm blessed? Mm. I just I have to go into my 
bankrupt lawyer the tomorrow, mm-hmm. but I'm not, I'm missing the point. So what if I'm declaring bankrupt? So what if I was foreclosed on? Mm-hmm. I, I'm being blessed. It's just something different than what I, if, if I was spiritual, yeah. I would see it. If I was spiritual yeah. enough, I'd see it. So look, you know, I'm not going to kick you when you're down and say you, you paid your tithing and you're not getting even the, the obvious, you know, dramatic blessings of being prosperous, as, as he says. That's one thing that, you, you know, you're probably doing something wrong there, by the way. But hey, while you're down on the ground, let me shit on your face and tell you that you're just not spiritual enough to see the blessings you are getting, you dumb shit. You know, thanks, David Bednar, lizard man, <laughs> fucking asshole, for making me feel even better about myself. Uh, let's let's talk about uh, these... Uh, well, here, here's another snippet. Sometimes we may ask God for success, and he gives us physical and mental stamina. We might plead for prosperity, and we receive enlarged perspective and increased patience. Or we petition for growth and are blessed with the gift of grace. He may bestow (laughs) upon us conviction and confidence as we strive to achieve worthy goals. And when we plead for relief from physical, mental, and spiritual difficulties, he may increase our resolve and resilience. There you go. How, how clever. That's one of the most commonly stated types of excuses by the brethren. You'll recall countless talks, David, where this topic, you know, this excuse is given. Look, shit, our members are doing this. They're obeying. They're paying their tithing. Many of them just aren't making it and getting blessed. Fuck, what are we going to give them as an excuse? Oh, I get it. So he- Patience. Uh, God's well, going to give you patience instead of well, he, he food. Just, not only patience, but some <laughs> other thing. He just used the second most nebulous word in Mormon theology: grace. That's why I laughed yeah. so hard. Yeah. What the hell is grace? So I was expecting to at least be able to break even by obeying this principle. I'm not making it, but I have grace. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, man. Yeah, That'll pay the bills. Yeah, Grace will yeah. pay the bills. Yeah, thank God for Grace, you motherfucker. Yeah, I I love these guys, man. So there you go. As if that wasn't bad enough, and I go back to the phrase, right? How bad can the mind fuck get for the members? They do what they are asked to do. They still don't get the results. By the way, that's still your fault because you're not spiritual enough to see it. God is blessing you right now. You're just blind spiritually. So it's back on you. So sorry in your spiral of your depression that I'm going to add more, you know, razor cuts and and salt and lemon juice (laughs) to that. But you just suck. I mean, look, let's face it. Your best as a member of the church is not good enough. I'm sorry. No. Nope. Your best isn't good enough. You still need to be a little more spiritual. Yeah, you know, uh Yeah. Yeah. How terrible. Contradictory. How terrible, yeah, terrible. F- for the members. Here's another thing. I love this. This is from an ensign in April nineteen ninety. This is a QA. 
The scriptures teach that if we keep the commandments, we will prosper. Yet many faithful members of the church face hardships. Why aren't we always blessed with prosperity when we are living worthily? <laughs> there it is. There it is, right? And I wonder why that's a Q&A, because tons of people are asking the same question. That's why it was in there. And you should see, I'm obviously not going to read the whole thing here. This guy is an expert in apologetics and cognitive dissonance. He, he breeds the verses about prosperity, some of which we talked about in the Book of Mormon. He says, note, however, that these verses do not promise prosperity unconditionally to everyone. <laughs> so in other words, mindfuck again, for some reason, you yeah. don't get to join the party. <laughs> Sorry. It's probably probably your lack of valiance in the pre-mortal life. Yeah. That's my guess. Yeah. yeah, at least you didn't get black skin. Mm -hmm. Look at the bonus. Yeah, you didn't get cursed with that, but you're always going to be poor. Yeah. So, sorry. Yeah. Sorry. Sucks to be you. Uh, consequently, quote, if our desires are righteous, our decisions will lead to success, though not necessarily in terms of worldly wealth or absence of problems. Uh. <laughs> And then he reads that verse you were referencing, Dave. If you seek the riches which it is the will of the Father to give unto you, ye shall be the richest of all people, for ye shall have the riches of eternity, and it must needs be that the riches of the earth are mine to give. So God has the, all these riches in his hands, and he's holding on to them, and he'll just let a few sprinkle down on you, but you have to seek them. That, that doesn't even give you a, a, an out. If you seek them, God's going to give them to you, is what that says. Um, you know, mm -hmm. seek not for riches, but for wisdom. There's all sorts of excuses in this article. In saying that prosperity can be gauged in other than material ways, I do not imply that we must simply accept our circumstances in life as God-given and do nothing to change them. What, whatever, Jeez. man. You know, you and Bednar are friends, and, you know, as you go, oh, my God. This actually, as, as I'm sure you can tell, gets me a little uppity, probably because I had personal experience in it twice as I went through some serious downturns while in the church and wondered these same questions. What am I doing wrong? Why isn't God blessing me, right? Like, I'm paying my tithing even. I, I really could use that money elsewhere, uh, to pay a bill, for example, why isn't God blessing me, right? Well, you're not spiritual enough to see the blessings. Dave, summary. Well, I want to just mention, I worked with two different gentlemen who were multimillionaires, mm -hmm. very active Mormons. And from what I could tell, being around them several different occasions, talking to both of them extensively, their acquisition of wealth did not turn them into uh, prideful assholes. Mm. So it's possible. Mm -hmm. And again, the word is intention. That verse talked about with the intent to do good. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, what is your intent? In other words, is this going to be a, a, a socialistic society? Where everyone's equal, equal is that the answer? Is that what we're looking for? Is that well, everyone should have an equal distribution of the uh, 
resources on the planet. Well, that obviously has been shown historically that it doesn't work. Mm -hmm. Democracy actually doesn't work. So all of these systems are just trials. They're they're tests. And and what what's really being tested is us. You've got to <laughs> pass the test, man. <laughs> Whatever. I don't know what, what to say. I, yeah. It's, right now, yeah. I've been living just above the poverty line for about 12 to 15 years. Mm. But I'm I'm a happy person. I'm peaceful. And I don't feel like my life is shit because I don't have a lot of what other people have. I just don't compare myself to other people like that. Maybe that's one of the keys. I don't know. Hmm. I don't know. I, I think for me, again, as I kind of said at the beginning, why this episode in my mind was another expression of the harm that this belief system is causing people. The harm of everything in that message that we just presented, right? If you do this, this is going to happen, but it didn't happen for you, so it's still your fault, right? That whole philosophy of mindfuck and, in this case, depression, right? And and yeah. confusion, like we were talking about, and, and why isn't this working, and, um, you know, so on and so on. So well, if yeah. financial problems are the number one cause of divorce, yep, for that's, instance, that's right. Yeah. So yeah, I wonder if that's one of the reasons why Utah went up when the rest of the nation went down. <laughs> I don't know, guys. Yeah. This is not reality. This is not truth, and it's certainly not healthy mentally or physically. And thank God that you're at least at a point if you're listening to this podcast where you're at least asking serious questions about these problematic teachings and you're taking a fresh look, right? Good for you and love you and uh, take care. <laughs>